Wow. Thank you guys so much. It is so good to be back worshiping with you guys again. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at Frontline. And I just want to welcome you and I want to transition us into a time of giving if I could. And so as we prepare ourselves for that, I just want to um, quickly update you. Last week, uh, Sunday after church, we had our first ever SENT event. And so we uh, as a church, many of you uh, went with us and we converged on Hartside Park from 11 o'clock to 2 o'clock. And we just m went to minister to the homeless population that's there and uh, partnered with the Hispanic Church downtown. And so I wanted to say thank you to those of you who served, for those of you who uh, went down and just interacted and showed up. It was an incredible time. It far exceeded our expectations. Um, we ran out of hot dogs, okay? We had to literally go like, go buy some more hot dogs and cook them. Uh, so many people showed up. Uh, some God things happened. There was somebody um, who showed up, uh, or actually a, a sister church of ours, Berkeley Hills, West St. Church, if you know them. They showed up. We didn't know they were planning to come, so they ended up showing up, and it was just like a big hoedown, if that's a, like a, like a, a legit thing in downtown Grand Rapids. I don't know. Uh, it was just awesome. It was an incredible day. And so I just want to say uh, well done to Jesse Heine, our missional pastor, for leading the charge on that and for challenging us as a church to go be the church. Um, it was an incredible day, and I just want to thank you um, for the way that you give. Uh, as we transition into this time, a part of the way we worship is by giving. We couldn't do events like that. We couldn't do what we do without the way that you give. We couldn't go buy a bunch of extra hot dogs, you know, without the giving of this church. And so um, as the ushers are making their way forward and we're preparing to give this morning, uh, there, you can see from the screen behind me there are three ways to give. I just want to mention, if you're new, if this is your first time with us, I uh, would love for you to let the offering bucket go by you. Um, you don't feel any obligation to give this morning. We consider you our guest, and we want you to feel like one. And so actually, we have a gift for you. If you would join us out here at the Orange Wall right after the service, um, and all we'd ask you to do uh, during this time is take this uh, tear-off sheet of cardstock that's in your bulletin when you walked in. Hopefully, you were handed one. And just fill it out with some information. Bring it to the Orange Wall. We'd love to hear about your experience here at Frontline and give you a gift. Um, but it, with that being said, let's pray, and then we'll pass the offering buckets. God, thank you so much for your spirit and your presence here. God, already this morning we've just drank deeply uh, from, the, from the everlasting story, the only story that matters, God, the story of your life, your death, and your resurrection um, that gives life to the whole world and that's moving us toward this ultimate restoration of all things under your kingdom. And so, God, we give you praise for who you are today. We give you praise for redeeming us. We truly, God, we owe all to you. And those aren't just words we sing this morning. Those, those are words that come from our lives and come from our hearts and our lived experiences. And so, God, as we, uh, as we give this morning, God, it's with a cheerful heart. It's with uh, belief and faith that you're going to take what we give and multiply it and use it for the kingdom uh, so that more people can come to know you. And so, God, we give with that attitude. We love you. We thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Awesome. Well, as the offering buckets are being passed, I want to um, just give you an update on something that's happening. Two weeks from today, August 20th, we are going to be having what's called an essential celebration. For those of you who don't know, this entire side of our building has been turned into a community resource center. And uh, the part of that, there's several pieces to it, but the part of it that we really own as a congregation is the essential store. And so inside of it, in addition to a half of it being a teacher's resource area, there is a hygiene uh, store where people literally can come if they have a WIC card, they can sign up to become members and they can come and they can benefit from hygiene products that every family needs. So like toilet paper, cleaning supplies, 
you know, um, that kind of stuff. You know, diapers, all the kinds of stuff that families would need. And so uh, we get so, some of that supplied to us by our partnership with World Vision, but it's not enough. We really want to expand it this next year. And so here's what, last week, if you're here, here's what we're challenging the church to do. In the next couple weeks, uh, we want to fill 100 shopping carts. These are the shopping carts that are back there that people can use. Uh, we want to fill up 100 shopping carts full of hygiene products. And what we want to do is just have this mountain of hygiene products. And then on August 20th, after the 11 o'clock service, we want to just go over there as a church. And there's going to be games for kids. There's going to be hot dogs and hamburgers. And then we're just going to sort for the volunteers who serve back there. We're going to sort all this stuff so that it will um, be set for the shelves and ready for this next year. And we're hoping to really expand our essential store to be able to serve more and more people this next year. As you can see, I don't know if you can see this or not, but we, we figured that about 100 carts full of hygiene products will supply about 40 families' needs for an entire year, which is an amazing thing. And so uh, that's what we're asking you to do. So all of you are going to be at the store this week at some point. Meyer, Aldi, uh, Costco, whatever it is. And so... Grab a few extra hygiene items. There's a shopping list out there as well as online. And um, just help us out. Fill up 100 shopping carts. And it's going to be a great day after the baptisms on the 20th to be able to just go and uh, sort through all that stuff and celebrate. Um, so that's a very cool thing. Um, today I want to start a new series. And it's going to be called Words to Live By. It is called Words to Live By. And what we're doing for the month of August is we are going to be looking at four different words that are basically huge words in the scriptures, and they're essential to our faith. They're really central, uh, big words, uh, and you've probably, whether you've grown up in the church all your life or whether you've never been in church until this day, you've probably heard all four of these words. At some point, they've permeated our culture, and yet, if you go around even inside the church and ask people what these four words mean, you're going to get a variety of answers. We're just kind of confused on these four words, and yet they're so central to our face. And so these are words to live by. And the first word we're going to kick off the series with today is the word gospel. Gospel is the word we're going to look at today. You see it again and again, particularly in the New Testament, although it has some roots in the Old Testament. And it's the Greek word evangelion. It means good news. And the gospel has been come to describe the message that Jesus brought. The message that Jesus gave was the gospel. It was the good news of Jesus. Um, so if you were to go around this room and you were to, to th say, like, what is the gospel? What does the gospel mean to you? Most people have had the gospel explained to them in some format like this. Well, well the gospel, go ahead to that next slide. The gospel is accepting Jesus into your life or into your heart. How many of you have heard that somewhere at some point in your life? Two of you. Okay, awesome. Well, this is going to not go as well as I thought. Okay, most of you. There we go. Okay, most of you probably heard that at some point. Like, if you go around the room and say, well, what is the gospel? What is it exactly? At some point, somebody's going to say, well, you know, you, you, you pray a prayer, you accept Jesus into your heart, and then you can go to heaven someday when you die. And that's how most of us, at some point, have heard the gospel or had it explained to us. And it's not that that's untrue or anti-biblical. It's, it's, it's not at all. But it's sort of confusing. It's not the whole picture of what the gospel actually is. Uh, and so it raises all these questions. Really, really, so, like, Jesus needs me to accept him? He's the Alpha, the Omega. Colossians 1 talks about he, everything was made for him and by him and through him, and in him all things hold together. He's the cosmic Christ over all creation. But he needs me to accept him? Jesus needs him to, us to accept him? 
and not just accept him, but accept him into our hearts? What does that mean to accept someone into your heart? Can you accept other people into your heart? What does that mean? And so it raises all these questions. And so today, I just want to talk a little bit about that phrase, accepting Jesus into your life and heart, and what we actually mean by that, because it gets confusing. My wife and I have four boys, and when my oldest two were about, I would say like six or seven, six and seven, I would say my older two were, I had this brilliant idea. I was like, man, I'm a father. I want to explain the gospel to my kids. I have this great idea of how to explain the gospel to my, to my two children. Um, and so what I did is it was the month of October, so I got a pumpkin. And I said, boys, we're going to carve a pumpkin. And so I get this huge knife, right? I mean, the thing is like this long. And, and while they're watching, I start, carve, I start cutting into this pumpkin, right? And I'm cutting the top off of that pumpkin. I say, boys, uh, what we're doing right now, carving this pumpkin, is a lot like what happens when you accept Jesus into your heart. <laughs> and I'm just going for it. And I, I rip the top off of this pumpkin, and I set it down. I'm like, just like when you accept Jesus in your heart, Jesus opens this up, and then I grab this spoon. I'm like, and then he scoops out all the bad stuff inside of us, and I'm like scooping out the pumpkin innards, and I'm like the guts, and I'm just slopping them down here on this uh, newspaper. And then I'm like, and then he puts his light inside of us, and I'm holding the knife. And I remember my, both my boys are just like watching. And, fi- and my, my son, Andrew, who's about six at the time, he, he says, you mean Jesus wants to cut my head open and then scoop out my brains? It was this like horrible, you know, parenting fail. I was, I'm holding the knife. I'm like, no, no. You see, Jesus, never mind. Forget it. I just like, I just bailed out on the whole thing. It was such a parenting fail. He did not accept Jesus into his heart uh, as a result of that conversation. I think it probably set him up for some other issues later in life that he'll probably have to deal with. Um, but that's, a lot of times that's what happens. I purposely, at Frontline, never use that language, accept Jesus into your heart. Uh, you may not have, maybe if you're newer to Frontline, you haven't noticed it. Or may, if you've been here for a long time, you probably have. I never say that. I never describe the gospel in those terms, um, at least not outside of our kids' ministry. Oftentimes in our kids' ministry, I know that's how we, we give uh, the youngest among us kind of a general understanding of what the gospel is. But I think Uh, that terminology oftentimes actually just confuses people more uh, because Jesus actually never offers to be accepted into our lives or into our hearts. What Jesus actually invites us to do is to give up our lives and our hearts and take on his life and his heart by confessing our sins and repenting of our sins and confessing him as Lord. That's what the gospel is. It's giving up our lives and our heart. It's taking on his life, his heart, reorienting ourselves completely around the person of Jesus by repenting of our sins and confessing him as Lord. And when we do that, when we do that, he redeems us. He redeems everything about us, our past, our present, and our future. And he gives us hope. And that's the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. Um, I want you to listen to how the writer Paul describes the gospel. We're going to spend all our time this morning in the book of Galatians for this message. If you were to ask me, you know, Brian, where do I go to just understand the gospel message? Like if I just want to understand what is the gospel and really grasp it, I would tell you to go read the book of Galatians. I don't think there's a better book in the Bible that gives you a more clear picture of what the gospel is. In fact, it was, the, it was um, the book of the Bible that really inspired Martin Luther when the Reformation um, really took off. Those verses in Galatians were it. 
So if you want to return and understand what is the gospel, you go to the book of Galatians. The writer Paul is writing to this group of churches in Asia Minor in the area of Galatia. Listen to how he describes the gospel. He says this, My old self, verse 220, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So you do have that idea that Jesus lives in me. He said, it's no longer me, but it's, it's Jesus who lives in me. But it's not because I accepted Jesus into my heart. Jesus lives in me because I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. My old self is, is gone. It's what we celebrate in baptism. The going down under the water is a celebration of I'm dying to this old life that doesn't work because none of us can fix ourselves. And I'm being raised to this new life in Jesus. It's now Jesus' life that's being lived in me and through me. And I, I'm oriented around the person of Jesus. It's his life that's being lived in my life. And, and that's the gospel. That's what it means to embrace the gospel and begin to follow Jesus in your life. So what I want to do is I just want to dig a little bit deeper into that concept. I'm just going to say for the gospel to be good news, because the gospel, the word gospel means good news. For the gospel to be good news, uh, it has to be about a few things. There's a few things the gospel has to be about. If it's not about these things, whatever it is that you've embraced, it's not the gospel. Okay, so for the gospel to be good news, a few things it has to be about. First one, the gospel has to be about life right now. If it's not about life right now, as well as eternity someday after we die, that's not the gospel. Go find one place, go search for one place where Jesus' disciples described or presented the gospel as a way to get out of hell and just go to heaven when you die, and that's only what it is. That's all it is, and you simply will not find it. It's not there. That's not the central question of the gospel. The gospel is about transformation in our lives right here, right now. It's about a, a message that can transform our entire society, not just right now, but for all of eternity. There is the hope of heaven after we die. There is the hope of eternity someday. That's there, but oftentimes what's happened is we've made the gospel about life someday. And maybe you grew up in a context where you're kind of taught it's just about heaven someday. Sort of get your fire insurance, get your evacuation plan. And then the rest of your life, you're just kind of hanging out. You're just kind of waiting. There's no bigger purpose. You, you're just kind of there waiting. And a lot of times that's how people think of it. And nothing could be more true. It's always presented as a life right now. The gospel is, has been and always will be a counter narrative to the society that it finds itself in. It was that way in the early church. It's that way today. The gospel always finds itself being a counter-narrative to the story of whatever the culture is that's finding it. And, and because we're reorienting our lives around the person of Jesus, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer Brian who, who lives. I'm taking on the person of Jesus, the values of Jesus. I'm orienting my life around the person of Jesus Christ. What happens is that oftentimes Christians find themselves struggling. How do, I, how do I interact in my life right now with the culture that I find myself in? What does it mean to be a Christian and actually live that? All of us have to be wrestling with that if we're going to really uh, 
engage uh, the gospel. The gospel is a counter-narrative to our culture. It's an alternative way of seeing history and understanding that all of history is not just a bunch of random events, but it's headed somewhere. It's headed toward an ultimate fulfillment uh, with Jesus' return and a kingdom that is going to be set up. The Bible calls it a restoration of all things or a reconciliation of all things, one passage says. And it's going to be Jesus' kingdom forever. And we believe history is headed toward that moment. And because of that, we have this sort of counter-narrative, this other way of thinking about the world we live in. The gospel is about life right now. And because of that, it calls us to be different. It calls us to be, as one writer talks about the church, a peculiar people, a distinct people whose values and and whose beliefs have been shaped and changed by the person of Jesus Christ. And so oftentimes what that means is that the gospel affects how we see certain things in our culture. The gospel affects how we see marriage. It affects how we see family. It affects how we see sex and poverty and economics and foreign policy and war. And oftentimes the gospel puts us into a place where we're in a counter-narrative with the culture around us. You have to understand, Jesus wasn't crucified because he was a nice guy who got along with everybody and agreed with everything. That's not why he was crucified. And when we reorient our lives around Jesus, he calls us as the church to be a peculiar people, a group of people who are testifying to who he is in the world we live in. The gospel is about life now, And it's also about eternity someday. And if it's not about both of those things, it's not the gospel that you're believing. The gospel is about both. Secondly, I would say for the gospel to be good news, it has to be about all people. For the gospel to be good news, it absolutely has to be about all people. The gospel calls us to have a renewed value of human dignity. Because we're all children of God, and we're all valuable to him. That's why Jesus died. Jesus' death on the cross that we were just singing about a moment ago is a testament that God so loved the world. In Greek, it's the cosmos. It means every single human being and everything in all creation. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus' death was for everyone. The gospel is for all people. What that does is it changes our value of human dignity. It changes the way we see other people in our lives, other people in our society. Jesus testified by his death that all people matter to God. White people matter to God as well as black people matter to God. Gay people matter to God as well as straight people matter to God. Americans matter to God as well as undocumented immigrants matter to God. Women who are pregnant and scared matter to God. And the lives of unborn children matter to God. And I'm not talking about who's right and who's wrong on the sin issue there with each one of those things. I'm talking about who matters to God. Do you understand? If the gospel is not for all people, it's not the gospel. Paul dealt with this in the book of Galatians. What's really interesting, if you go and you study the book of Galatians and kind of the story around what was happening is that people were coming to faith in Jesus. Paul had helped start these churches in this area of Asia Minor. And so people were coming to Jesus. They were putting their faith in Jesus. And so these were Greek people. These were not Jewish people. These were people who were part of the Greek culture around them. And so what happened is things are going well. People are coming to Jesus. They're getting baptized. And then what happened is this group comes into the churches in Asia Minor, and they're called the Judaizers. 
And if you've ever been to seminary or Bible college and you've had a class in the book of Galatians, you have talked about the Judaizers. They're a major focus. Everybody talks about them. This group called the Judaizers comes in and they were basically Jewish Christians who came in and what they did is they started spreading this message to the new Christians in uh, the area of Galatia, to the churches there. And they said, yes, it's true that you come to, uh, you, you're saved by putting your faith and your trust in Jesus. But then if you want to stay good with God, if you want to stay saved and stay good, with, stay good with God, what you have to do is you have to become more like us, the Jews. And you have to start following all these rules and these regulations from the Old Testament uh, of the Bible. And I'm not talking about moral things like don't kill people. I'm talking about things like circumcision. Circumcision is a huge conversation in the book of Galatians. These Judaizers are saying, in, in addition to circumcision, you have to follow all these rules. Now you might say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, let me tell you, if you're a 40-year-old man and you're a Greek and you've never been circumcised, and this group of people comes in and says, hey, if you want to be a real follower of Jesus, you need to get circumcised right now. You just started caring about theology. It just got interesting to you. And by the way, if you're not sure what circumcision is, it's not a word we hear a lot of times outside. If you don't know what that is, uh, Brad Vanderson, our student ministry pastor, would love to answer that question for you. He was up on the stage a little earlier. He's right there. Uh, form a long line, please. He, he could show you diagrams. I mean, he could really explain that for you very well. Um, so please take advantage of that. So, so these Judaizers come in and say, you have to be circumcised. You have to follow these rules. And if you don't, you're not really a follower of Jesus. And Paul is outraged. And listen to the way, he, listen to the way that he uh, responds. Galatians 1, he's responding to what's happening with the Judaizers. He's talking to the Greek Christians there, and he says this, I am astonished, I'm shocked, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. The word grace means unmerited favor. The Greek word charis means gift. It's, it's a gift. It's not something you earn. It's not something that you get because you're something or on your own merit. I, I'm just astonished you're deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people, the Judaizers, that's who he's talking about, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. See, circumcision was a way for the Jewish Christians to discriminate against the Greek Christians and form kind of an us and them uh, situation and say, basically, we pre-qualify for the gospel, but you don't. Here, here's what you have to understand. If the gospel is not for everyone, if it's not capable that God can redeem everyone, no matter what situation they find themselves in, then it's not the gospel. The gospel is for everyone, or it's not the gospel. Paul goes on, Galatians 3, he says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Not through some merit on your own, not for some pre-qualification or circumcision or some uh, issue in your life. You are all children of God through your faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. Again, there's that story, just like uh, we're going to celebrate in a couple weeks. When somebody gets baptized, it's like they're putting on the life of Christ. They're, they're, they're setting down their old life. They're putting on the life of Christ, like putting on some new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one 
in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. It's for everyone or it's not the gospel you're believing. Now, some of you are mad right now. You're like, but, 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 hold on. Stay with me. There's one more thing. So, so the, for the gospel to be good news, it has to be about life right now as well as someday in eternity. For the gospel to be good news, it has to be for all people, not just those who pre-qualify. And then thirdly, I'd say the gospel, for it to be good news, the gospel has to be about transformation. For it to be good news, for it to be the gospel, it has to be about transformation. What do I mean by that? We have no problem giving Jesus our past. I really think that. People don't have a problem giving Jesus their past. When people come to Christ, they have no problem saying, well, Jesus, you know, there's all this past stuff I did a long time ago and all this junk in my life and stuff that happened. And, and we have no problem giving Jesus our past and saying, God, can you forgive me? Can you cleanse me of my past? My before, you know, we all have like a BC story, a before Christ story. Those of us who've come to Jesus like, oh, you know, God, thank you for forgiving me and cleansing me. We have no problem giving Jesus all that stuff. It, it, it's acceptable to give him our past. Uh, but what about my ongoing pornography addiction? What about my struggle to keep alcohol under control in my life? What about my continued battle with anger? It just keeps bubbling up and then it, it boils over. I can't keep it under control and it affects all my relationships in my life. I mean, does Jesus, does the power of the gospel, does it have the power to set me free from my current places of shame? Or is the gospel just about my past? You see, a lot of us come to Jesus and we have no problem. We say, God, you can have my past, but my present, my future, I'm going to build a wall around that and I'm going to pretend. And the gospel, for it to be good news, it has to be about transformation. We're all still in the process of being changed by the gospel. Galatians 5.1, maybe my, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Later on in verse 13, he says, for you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. It's for freedom. In other words, if I can't say it any more plainly than this, Jesus sets people free. Period. Even of that, whatever just popped into your head, even of that, Jesus sets people free. He sets people free, not just of their past. He sets people free of their present and, their, and the future. The gospel is the most powerful thing on planet earth because it has the power to accept, uh, to um, ch change and transform people. So when you meet someone who just wants to sit in their sin and basically, you know, I've come to Christ, but I, I don't, I'm just, this is just the way I am. I'm just going to sit in my sin. And their message is just accept me, accept me, accept me, accept me. I don't need to change. I don't need to work on anything with me. Just accept me. And you're wrong if you don't accept me. That is not the gospel either. That's not the gospel. The gospel is about transformation. It's about the power of Christ to set people free. And if it's not about that, that's not the gospel you're believing. It's for everyone. But it's also completely about transformation. Look how Paul, these are some of the last words in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Um, Paul wraps up kind of almost to his parting thoughts, to his last statement. This is how he ends uh, the book of Galatians. He says, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. He's talking about this, this setting free, this transformation that happens. And he says, it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts, listen, here it is. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle, for they are the new people of God. The new people of God set apart to be distinct, to be peculiar, because we're being transformed more and more into the person that Christ has called us to be. God doesn't want to just forgive your past. He wants to transform you. He wants it all. It's far too small a thing for Jesus to just forgive you of your past. That's too small a thing. The gospel can transform your past, your present, and your future. So you, maybe you're looking at yourself and go, well, how do I know what God still wants to transform in me? You know, where, where do I start? How do I know what the gospel needs to transform. Well, some things are obvious, right? Like some sort of major moral flaws. Like maybe I should stop, you know, killing people. That would be a good place to start if you have some major moral flaw. Uh, but sometimes it's harder that if we've been following Jesus for a while, maybe we've kind of dealt with some of those bigger issues of life. And so maybe you're wondering, how, how do I know what in my life still needs to be transformed by the gospel? I have a friend um, uh, who, who calls it, uh, pay attention. He says, pay attention to your 10 and 2 responses. <laughs> and uh, to describe it, he's, he's basically saying, pay attention to any moment in your life, any situation that happens in your life where your emotional reaction to it is a 10. And when you get on the other side of it, you look back and you go, wow, that should have been a 2. My reaction to that was a 10 on the Richter scale, on the emotional Richter scale. And really, it should have been a 2. Pay attention, because oftentimes those experiences in life What's happening is whatever happened in that moment, it's touching some place of shame that has yet to be brought into the light of the gospel and handed over to Jesus and transformed and forgiven. And a lot of times this is the harder work, the harder spiritual work uh, that has to be done in our lives. I'll, I'll give you one uh, from my life. Um, I have uh, four boys. Two of them have ADD. And uh, so one of my sons is on his, I want to say, fifth pair of glasses he comes home uh, after losing glasses. Uh, he leaves some places. He, they've been broken. One, one pair of glasses was actually run over by a train. Not kidding you. That's actual true. I, they came home with that. Uh, another one of my sons uh, loses coats. Come home in the freezing cold. Where's your coat? Uh, oh, I don't know. He's gone through like coat after coat after coat. Can't seem to keep track of his coats no matter how cold it is. And when they come home uh, and say to me, Dad, I just lost, I lost my coat, or I say, where's your glasses? Well, I lost my glasses. I lose my freaking mind about it. It's a 10 on the, I, like, I can't believe you did it, you know, and I just go crazy. And one of the things that God has been showing me, uh, as I think about the gospel, I think about this, is what's really happening in those moments when my reaction should be a two, maybe, it shouldn't be a zero, but it should be a two, maybe, uh, is what's happening is that's touching some place of shame in my life. Uh, I was ADD. I was uh, on medication starting about eight years old. Um, I couldn't stay in my seat. I couldn't, I literally would just get up and leave the class. Lots of moments of shame. I left coats behind. I, I broke glasses. I lost stuff all the time. I couldn't find my homework. I was disorganized. School was a challenge for me. Uh, I've been on several different ADD meds all throughout my life. On nothing right now, um, thank goodness, although you wish I was probably. And... Uh, 
And um, there's, a, there's some shame there. And so what happens is when my son comes home, I lost my coat, whatever. What, what he really needs for me to do in that moment, what my son needs for me to do is he needs for me to get in touch with my own uh, gospel transformation story. And he needs me to say, you know what? You are so much more important to me than any pair of glasses will ever be. And here's the good news. If I can transform, if I can change, if I can grow, there is great hope for you too. (laughs) If I can work through this, there is hope for you too. Are there any 10 and 2 responses in your life? 10 responses where you just go, wow, I just freaked out about that. And in reality, it probably was supposed to be a 2 That's a place where where Jesus wants to invade your life and he wants to bring healing. He wants to set you free because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You were called to be free from that. It's not just about your past. It's about your present. It's about your future. As Richard Rohr says, if the gospel doesn't transform it in our lives, we will simply transmit it. If you don't let the gospel have that, if you don't let Jesus have that and transform it, you're simply going to transmit it. You're simply going to pass it on to the next generation. You're going to pass it on to your kids. You're going to pass it on to, your, to those who are closest to you. The gospel, for it to be good news, is about life right now not, and also eternity someday. It's about all people, not just some people who pre-qualify for the, for the deal. And the gospel, for it to be good news, has to be about transformation has to be about taking on the life of Christ, letting go of our old lives, taking on the life of Christ. Now, that's good news. And the reason it's good news is because it means a couple things. First of all, it means people can change. People can be forgiven. People can be restored. People can be given a new life. You don't have to be the same person 10 years from now that you are today. People can change. That's the good news of the gospel. Second of all, it means... History is headed somewhere. We're not just watching the news and it's sort of just this, a bunch of random events that, that are happening, but history is actually headed somewhere. We are part of a larger story that's ultimately heading toward a reconciliation of all things and an eternal kingdom under the, the rule and reign of Jesus. And that is an amazing thing that we all are living in and working toward. It also means that our lives have ultimate purpose and meaning. Our lives have ultimate purpose in, and meaning in helping, uh, you know, once, once we've been transformed by the gospel, then beginning to uh, go outward and reach out to others with it. You know, one of the changes, one of the transformations that happens when you uh, encounter the gospel is you start to see people in your life differently. People who are near to you but who are far from God start to matter in a way that they didn't before. You start to care about people in a different way as God begins to change your heart. And our lives have ultimate purpose and meaning because every one of us has a role to play in the kingdom. You're not just redeemed so that you can just sit there. As a friend of mine is really fond of saying, Jesus, when he called his disciples, he actually never said, come follow me. Do you know that? When Jesus called his disciples, he, did, he never ever said, come follow me. What he actually said, if you read the gospel, is come follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. That's what he said. In other words, you're not saved in order to sit. You're not saved in order to sit and fill your head with more knowledge. Or as we've said it in the past here, a disciple who makes disciples is a disciple. That's what discipleship is. 
if you, if you view discipleship as I just sit down in a chair now that I'm saved and I fill my head with more and more and more and more information, that's not the gospel. That's something else you're believing, but it's not the gospel. Jesus said, come follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. It's, it's this good news. We all have a purpose. We all have a role to play as God begins to change our hearts. We talk about our one lives here. Who is your one life? That person that's near you and far from God. Um, how many of you have ever gotten an Amber Alert on your phone? Has anybody ever had that experience? Almost everybody in the room. Whenever I get an Amber Alert on my phone, it creates like a mild sense of urgency for me. Uh, like literally, I mean, I'll, I'll like stop what I'm doing and I'll look and I'll go, okay, black Toyota, uh, four-door sedan, license plate number. And whatever I'm doing, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll look around and see if I see the black Toyota or whatever. But then basically, I go back to my life. And you do too. It doesn't interrupt my day. It doesn't, I don't drop everything and go looking. And yet, mentally, I know that whenever I get one of these Amber Alerts, what I know is there is a missing child. Somebody's kid is missing. And this child is not going to find their way back on their own. It, it, that's why it's an Amber Alert, because this child is not going to just find their way back on their own. Someone has to go find them. And yet, it really causes no great sense of urgency for me. I look at it, and then I kind of move on, and my day goes pretty much the same. And the reason, if I'm being honest, the reason for that is because it's not my kid. Not my kid. And I don't mean that... Uh, you know, to be cold or, or insensitive. But at the end of the day, that's not my kid. Somebody else's kid. And so I look, but then I go about my day. But if it was my child, personally, that had gone missing, and if, my, if there had been an Amber Alert sent out for my child because my kid was missing, and your phone's all lit up with an Amber Alert for my child, you know what I would want you to do? I would want it to wreck you that there was a child missing. I, I would want it to interrupt your entire day. And I would want you to drop everything. I would want you to go looking for my kid. And I would, I would want you to not give up until my kid was home. That's what I would want if an Amber Alert got sent out for my kid. Don't, don't you think that's the way God feels about lost people? I can leave you with a, a visual image. The gospel is an amber alert sent out by God for every single person in our world who is near to you but is far from God. There's an amber alert out for them. And God says, what do I want you to do? I, I, what I wish you would do is I wish you would take it personally that there are people who don't know Christ. I, I wish you would take it to heart and that it would affect you deeply. And that it would change the way you interact in your days. It would change the way you interact at your job. It would change the way you interact in your neighborhood. That it would change you to the core of your being so much that you would see yourself as being on a mission. And not just sort of saved so you can sit, but sent out on a mission to reach people. If there's an ask, if you could go to the next slide there. So what's the ask of this sermon? If I could kind of nail it down. Uh, I'd love to ask you to take the gospel personally. What do we do with this information? Take the gospel personally today. I hope that's what you're doing with the information you've just received. Um, let it take over your whole life. For some of you, what that means, that means uh, 
repent of your sins, confess Jesus as Lord of your life, let your old life be crucified with Christ and let it be Jesus that's living in you, get baptized two weeks from now on August 20th and go public with your faith in Jesus and be united with him in baptism. That's what it means to take the gospel personally for some of you. You just need to do that. You've played around with it long enough. You've heard it long enough but not been willing to actually take it personally. And uh, maybe that's what it means for some of you. For others of you, what it means to take it personally, maybe you're, you're here every single week, you're committed to Christ. Um, maybe what it means to take it personally is just to let it drive you that your neighbor doesn't know Jesus. Let it drive you to change the way you interact this week at work, that your coworker doesn't know Jesus. Maybe what it means to take the gospel personally is you see yourself as being sent on mission as a representative of the gospel. We're called to be this distinct, peculiar people. We're not like everyone else. That's what the church is called to be in the world. And the church is at its best when it's not trying to fit in with the culture around it, but when it's loving the culture around it, reaching out to the culture around it and saying, it's like one beggar trying to show another beggar where they found food. There's good news. There's good news. You don't have to just stay exactly the same as you are. History is headed somewhere. There is a Savior, there is a Redeemer, and we get to be a part of that story, all of us. I want to introduce you to somebody from our own congregation who has taken the gospel personally. This is uh, Kayla Scott, everybody. Uh, Can you say hi, Kayla? And uh, Kayla, I I will join you here. Kayla um, has grown up in our church. Many of you know her. Many of you uh, watched her grow up, and... um, she served in our student ministry and was a part of our student ministry, grew up in our student ministry. And what it, I think it would be fair to say, Kayla wasn't always taking the gospel personally, right? There was definitely a, a time in, in your life of, of kind of walking the other direction and rebellion. Um, but uh, there, this is a transformation story from our own church and the way God has, has worked in her life. And Kayla is now at a point um, where she has given her, full, her whole life full-time to missions, to being sent uh, to take the gospel personally, I and mean, also to take it to people groups who haven't heard of Jesus. And um, Kayla, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of you, just as your pastor and as just a, a person who's just watched you grow up. Um, can you tell us, what is, uh, was there a moment, was there a, a time where you just sensed God, uh, where God really got a hold of your heart and said, you're going to be called to be on mission and to take the gospel personally? Yeah, so. Oh, here, I can help you if it's not on. <laughs> very complicated on and off so there you go um I definitely had a lot of concrete moments growing up in this church where I felt God had really said Kayla you're called into missions or Kayla you're called into full-time ministry you're called overseas Um, but I think what took those moments from these emotional spiritual highs even though they were really spirit-filled to a concrete calling was God's faithfulness to then um to call me out of a lot of the sin I was living in and convict my heart as well as heal me and teach me and now academically and financially prepare me to then go on the field. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So Kayla has been uh, to several uh, foreign countries, uh, Haiti, uh, India, uh, Minnesota, correct? Um, Really, (laughs) really, really foreign. And uh, so uh, is about to embark uh, the next stage of her journey. She's going to be spending 16 months, right, in Kenya, uh, with an organization called Bethany International. And can you tell us a little bit about what you're going to be doing uh, for the next yeah. 16 months? So Bethany International is a missionary base in Minnesota that is strategically 
reaching unreached people groups with the gospel. And so the base that I will be at is in Kenya, but it is put very close to the border of Somalia so that we can disciple the Kenyans that are believers to go into Somalia and plant churches. So it is discipling the Africans to plant the African churches. And yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, so two things I would like to do uh, for Kayla. First of all, just as, as her home church, uh, for her to be uh, about ready to step out and embark on this huge, long uh, journey, I'd love for us just to pray a prayer of commissioning over her. And so, uh, and not yet, but in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and extend your hands uh, before we sing. And we're going to pray over her and just pray uh, just a prayer of God's Spirit filling her and sending her to go. Um, and then the second thing I want to ask you to do is uh, she is almost to the, to the last hurdle of her financial support being raised. Not quite there, um, and so uh, she's actually going to be out in the lobby um, at a table right out here uh, near the green wall, and um, if you would like to support her, if you would like to financially um, uh, kind of walk with her as she goes over this next year, you can connect with her and uh, do that today. I just think it would be awesome, <laughs> Frontline, as, as like her home church, I think it would be awesome if we just got her over that last hurdle uh, as a church, to be able to send her to do that. That would just be an amazing thing. And again, we can't do this for everybody, right? We can't, you know every single person, but um, some people we can. And so uh, it would be an amazing thing to be able to do that today. And so if you feel so called or tapped on the shoulder to do that, that's awesome. Um, and uh, it would just be great to be able to send you off and do that. But let's do this. Would you stand and um, extend your hand? I'm going to pray a prayer of commissioning over Kayla. We're going to sing, and then I'm going to close this with a benediction. Um, God, as we just extend our hands right now toward Kayla, uh, Lord, we just recognize... Um, the transformation story that's happened in our own midst, God. We've uh, seen it happen with our own eyes, even if we weren't, you know, aware of her personally. God, thank you for the way that you are at work in our lives, for the way that you raised her up, for the way that you walked with her, even during a time of rebellion in her life. Uh, but God, but didn't let her uh, run ultimately from the call that you have on her. So God, all of us are called to take the gospel personally. All of us are called to be sent on mission. But God, some of us are called uniquely and specially. Um, we're given gifts to actually take the gospel overseas and uh, to be your hands and your feet in places that are dark, in places that there aren't a lot of hope. And God, I just know, I sense that in Kayla. I know that that's what you've done in her life. And uh, Father, right now, I just pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on her, God. Would you just pour out your grace, pour out your Holy Spirit on her. Give her what she lacks. Give her what she needs. Um, God, whatever it is that, that you're going to call her to do, that whatever it is that's facing her in these next 16 months, I pray that you would give her what you need by her spirit, what she needs so that she can do it. That there would not be a moment where she shrinks back, but that you would give her boldness in your Holy Spirit to step forward and uh, be a representation of you. God, um, would you allow her to uh, have needs met uh, and whatever they need so that that's not the focus, so that she's able to focus on you and focus on the people of Kenya, the people you are sending her to. And God, would you just uh, bless her in that? pour out your Holy Spirit on her. Encourage her. Help her to remember uh, in moments that she has a church. Help her to remember this moment. Help her to remember that there is a church who is supporting her and praying for her and um, that is home for her. Uh, and I, I just thank you for that, God. Thank you that we get to be that as a church together. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. She'll be out there uh, at the table. If you'd like to talk with her, let's sing.